Good morning. It's good to see some new faces and some not so familiar faces and the regular faces. Thank you all for coming, being part of this day. Looks like I'm going to over there's a clock. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you for that exuberant singing. I've appreciated it a lot. And let's turn our hearts towards what God would have for us today. Ministry day, or we could call it service day, or we could call it how do I get involved day. This is a day for us. I trust to be looking to the Lord. Trust you've come with prepared hearts. How can I get involved? How can I make a difference? Those are some of the questions maybe we could be asking at the onset of a day like today, and I'd just like to bring a thought out right in the in the beginning of our special day today, ministry. You know, ministry is not for a select few that maybe have a specific calling to do something specific. But I believe ministry is for every child of God. There's a passage in Mark, you don't need to turn to it, it's part of the Great Commission where they were instructed to go everywhere and preach the gospel and make disciples. And then Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they'll cast out devils, and then it goes on to list a number of things that they will do. And I'd like to just summarize that all up this morning uh, and impress it upon our hearts this morning. I believe it's God's will that service and ministry follows every child of God in one way, shape, or form. I believe that's the heart of God this morning. So this morning, it's not for a select few. It's for us. You know, this morning, I don't care if we're 7, 17, 47, like I think I am, or you put the age in. It's for us today. It's for us today. And I'd like to just bear that upon our hearts here this morning. For the health and future of our church, a day like today is important. And I agree. That was the assignment that I was given this morning. And I only have a little bit of time here. And I felt like God directed me to a passage of Scripture in Luke 10. And you can turn there if you would. I'm just going to read a number of verses. I don't know if I'm going to take the time to read it all. But I think I'm going to go ahead and read the first four. As we think about this subject here this morning, just to impress it upon our hearts of what life really is all about. What brings life? Uh... Uh, Luke 10 and uh, starting at verse 25, it says here, and behold, a certain lawyer. And this is a very familiar account to us. Uh, A certain lawyer stood up and tempted Jesus, saying, Master, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? For now I'm going to leave off reading there. There's a question that I think is right that all of us ask, especially young people, the younger generation. And I used to think I was part of that, but I don't think I am anymore. Especially the younger generation. We sit here this morning and we look ahead with all life ahead of us. I remember when that used to be me, life ahead of us. You know, it's right that we ask God, what shall I do with my life? Life. All of us want to live life to our fullest potential. I trust. And that means a lot of different things to a lot of people, depending who we ask. What is life? What shall I do with life? That was, in a sense, what this certain lawyer was asking, what do I do to inherit eternal life? He was asking. But this morning, what do I do that I can live life to the fullest potential is a question that we might ask. And it's interesting. He had he had the right answer. The this lawyer had the right answer, just like many of us have. Is that not the truth? We have the right answer. It comes to us pretty quick. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord, our God, with our whole heart soul and mind and strength. And, you know, yeah, we need the right. We need the right theology, don't we? We need the right answer. We need that rooted in our heart. But, you know, Jesus says, you have answered right. This do. 
and thou shalt live. You know, what he's really saying here is that is life. That is life for the Christian, not just to have the theology up here, which too many times that's what I have. But do I have that heart reality? He's saying this do and you shall live. You know, I wouldn't doubt many of us heard the phrase already and maybe even said it. I don't know if you want to call this whatever. It's, it's a phrase that many times we say, and that is maybe somebody said it to you already. Get a life. Why don't you just get a life? Well, you know, this is life. This is the life. It's the fulfillment of putting to practice what Jesus said here. He says, you have answered right. This do and you shall live. And we know the story. We know what he says in verse 29. He answers and said, he willing to justify himself said, but who is my neighbor? You know, we wouldn't quite go to that extent. But, you know, it is very, very easy to make excuses to justify ourselves. What does it mean to put to practice this verse? This do and thou shalt live. And that would that's a that's the main key punch or phrase that I'd like to have riveted in our hearts here this morning. This do and live. You know, maybe you're sitting here this morning as a young person and wonder, what does God have for me? I appreciate that we called this today ministry day, not mission day, because many times when we think of mission day, we think of mission. We think of a specific mission and maybe God is calling you to a specific mission. But I believe it simply starts in ministry, in service, in how can I make a difference? What does it mean for me personally? That's a question I'm asking myself today. What does it mean to me personally to have that verse a living reality in my life? He didn't say this believe and you'll live this have the right theology and you'll live. He said, no, this do and you will live. And, you know, to me, that's that's ministry. This do this do and we shall live. You know, I had to wonder already, you know, there seems to be a lot of uh, downcast amongst Christendom today. We battle with it ourselves, but I wonder sometimes if. A large part of it is, is because we're not doing. We're not doing. We have it up here, but we're not doing. I see the missionaries shaking their heads. You know, uh, this do and live. This is life. I can't believe it. I am 47 years old. And I don't know at what point the energy level in our lives begins to waver and drop off. But I feel like I'm kind of over that hump now. But I also know what it's like to be a young person with a lot of energy. And I am of the persuasion that all of us have energy that's going to go into something. And if there's any regret I have already at my age that I didn't invest more time into the kingdom. The other, this week, one day, I just had to stop and ponder and think. As a father, am I putting it into the hearts of my children? What really matters in life? Today, we're going to hear things, I believe, that really matter. In life, I have just a few short minutes left yet, and I don't think I'm going to take time to read the rest of the scripture, but we know it well. We know it well. The rest of the scripture. Jesus gives the example. Okay, we have the we have the um, this lawyer here willing to justify himself. And then Jesus says a certain man went down to Jericho. And we know the story. The certain man that that goes down to Jericho and he falls among the thieves and he's. Laying along the road, wounded and half dead. You know, we live in a world of many laying along the road. And there is countless opportunities. There's countless opportunities. And we know the story. Along comes the Levite and the priest. And they look and pass by on the other side. One on one side, it says. And the other one comes along, passes by on the other side. But then we know the beautiful story of the Good Samaritan that comes along and he does something about it. And that's a good story, and we're all challenged with that good story. I'd like to just think a little bit about the Levite and the priest syndrome. And, you know, I say this with great carefulness. And I, and I, and I also want you to know that I bless the Lord for what is happening in our fellowship here. You know, just coming in and realizing that the, the, the energy and the time and the focus that is going into ministry. But for those of us that just need some encouragement to get more involved, I don't... I just want to encourage that today with a day like today. So I believe that we are. But, you know, it's also good for us, I think, just to consider the Levite and the priest. They were part of the religious 
community. It was the Levites who there at Mount Sinai, when Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? It was the Levites that stepped forward and crossed that line. It was them that did that. And here we are years later and along comes a priest and the Levite and they looked and they passed by and they kept on going. You know, I guess it's safe to say this morning that I believe in that day, in that culture, in that society, it was the it was the plain community. Could could we just go as far as saying it that way? It was the plain community. It was it was those that were looked at as the maybe the separate people. You know, today is a day to 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 look outside of our box. Can I just encourage it that way? Today is a day for all of us to look outside of our box. And I think you know what I mean when I talk about that box. We have a comfort zone. I got a comfort zone around me. And as long as I'm inside that comfort zone, I'm feeling pretty comfortable. And that's a safe place for me to be. But, you know, Jesus never promised safety and security and all those kind of things as to what to go over after in life. But it's to be willing to step outside of that comfort zone this morning. And I'd just like to encourage you, you know, the good Samaritan did that. You know, there's it, it says in the scriptures there that the good Samaritan, as he journeyed, he saw it and he did something. And, you know, that's my encouragement to us today. Let's not be defeated because we're not doing something big, because it's not us that's getting hands laid on and prayed for today to go to Tanzania. Let's not be discouraged about that. Because, bless God, for those that are called for specific uh, callings in life and, and maybe crossing seas or going to let whatever they're doing. But may today simply be an encouragement to every one of us as we're journeying through life to allow ourselves to move outside of that comfort zone and step across the line. And what can I do? How can I make a difference? You know, it's interesting to me. That this good Samaritan, as he journeyed, he had oil and wine with him. I don't know why he had oil and wine with him, but I believe we can at least gather from that that he was prepared. He was prepared to serve God in whatever way God had for him. And he was willing to be stretched outside of his comfort zone. You know, our culture puts tremendous pressure on us for security, for comfort, for success, and all those kind of things. I was given the assignment today to talk a little bit about why a day like today is important. Why I think today, a day like today is important to help us to realign our focus where we need to realign our focus. I need to realign my focus many times. We all drive the roads. We see billboards. Probably not many of us turn our radio on, but if we do happen to turn it on, we know what we hear. Uh, whatever exposure we have to the media or whatever it might be, we hear it day after day. What this world believes is security and success. And may I suggest to us this morning, most of it all is fickle. It really is where I believe we will find a life, especially young people this morning. I just I'd love to put it in your hearts, somehow riven your hearts to go after what is really important in life, to go after what's really important in life. And that is ministry and that is service for God you know to me that's what this parable here is all about what does it mean to love the Lord our God with our whole whole heart soul mind and strength I'm going to give one little example of something I heard a week or so ago and then I'm going to sit down as we think about what is important do I really love the Lord I have a friend in northern Wisconsin who sells water conditioning units for homes Well, he doesn't anymore. He quit that and went on to something else. But for quite a few years, that's what he did. He was in sales and service and installation. And they taught him something as it relates to sales that he uh, I heard him say. And that was that when he goes to sell something in today's day, it's not so much that you sit down with a potential customer and try to convince them uh, that, that this thing is affordable or whatever. But there's one key selling point in trying to sell something he said it doesn't matter if they can't afford it it doesn't matter if it's things going to cost them eight thousand dollars and they only make thirty thousand a year and you know they can't afford it he said it's not doesn't have anything to do with any of that but he said the main thing you want to convince them of is get them to love it if you get them to love your product they'll buy it irregardless so i'd just like to leave that with us how much do i love god if we really love god 
and we really love people, I think we'll heart, have a heart that makes a difference. So this morning, at the onset of this day, let's have a heart like that. What does God have for me? God bless you. Well, I see some familiar faces. Some of you I haven't ever seen before, as far as I know. May the Lord bless you. Talking about being out of comfort zone, it doesn't matter if I'm at home or it's somewhere else. My heart always pounds when I come up in front of people. I think there's an important reason for that. I've heard of people being able to address company dinners and various places and various things and not feel unduly nervous. But when you stand and speak for the eternal God, now there's more weight to an accountability that comes into the picture. Shall we pray? Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that though you were rich, you became poor, you became nothing. In this world's eyes. That we might be rich. Now Lord it's our turn. To empty ourselves. To turn and behold your face. And allow that image to make a deep impression on our hearts. And in the light of that image. Lord to go forth. And bear that image to another. Lord I believe that. All our efforts to minister to others without that inner life of Christ drawing aside with you, it's all useless. And yes, Lord, we don't pump ourselves up this morning to try to make an impression on others. Lord, we seek to glorify you and allow you to be seen in the world. We pray that you would give me words at this time to speak effectively, to not ramble. Lord, would you come and impress all our hearts with your values. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, I think my assignment today is, has to do with speaking about the vision for Turkey and the refugees there, and also our, our recent trip in the month of June. I think we left on the 13th of June, and I may read some of that What I just wrote, uh, sort of in a running chronicle, um, while we were there day to day trying to keep fresh for the future, uh, what happened, what we saw. I believe we've called, at least tentatively, have called this uh, mission, this aim, ministry to the Syrian refugees in Turkey. I think we've called it Ishmael's Well Foundation. Something to that degree, and maybe you understand that title a little better a little later. Um, I well remember sitting in church, and uh, there was a flyer read. I may have read the flyer myself from Cam, describing the utter destitution and the needs that were experienced by the refugees that were fleeing from Syria. And I remember closing that meeting and praying something to the effect of, Lord, help us to somehow make a difference in these people's lives. Give us an opportunity. And it was not too long after that, at the men's seminar in Bern, Indiana, that Tim Zizet pulled myself and a few others aside and began to talk to us about some of the things going on in that part of the world and asked, are you all interested And I remember responding with having an acute interest because of the prayer that I myself had prayed and the burden that the Lord had laid on my heart because of the very principle that Brother Brian just spoke about in the sense of uh, it's one thing if you and I only have a horse and a cart and these people are on the other side of the world and it takes months and months by ship To get there, first of all, to get to the ship and then to get across the water and then limited. But in our world today, you can board an airplane and be on the other side of the world in that place within so many clock hours, regardless of what the time is when you land there. 
That, in an essence, makes the needy in our world our neighbors. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. That's how you love your neighbor. I'd like to just take your mind a little bit, unless you are, uh, perhaps you're a little like I am. I don't like dangerous situations. When I face danger and difficulty, I, uh, I can think of many reasons to back up and put myself in some place that's very secure, very comfortable, and don't stir me up too much. That's the carnal man. But Jesus said the person that seeks to save his life is going to lose it. Do we believe his promise? We have lives that are to be spent for the Lord Jesus. And I would just haste to say that if it's not finding a priority to yield ourselves to the Lord Jesus, first of all in a devotional life, and rearrange our lives to earnestly walk with God, we're not going to find a fruitful ministry that is going to be an enduring ministry that has much effect. So I have a couple of foundational scriptures. One is in Matthew chapter 25. We have a judgment scene here. You have any idea what a privilege we have as human beings to have been given the, the judgment scene and even judgment conditions at the end of the world? It's been laid out to us in principle, even by our Lord Jesus, who is the judge. He's been appointed by his father. In Matthew 25 and in verse 31, we want to begin reading and read to the end of the chapter. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Now I want you to imagine the awesome situation that that's going to be. Every one of us, all nations, every person's meeting and gathering in front of the Lord Jesus. And he puts some, he divides them, he puts some over here, and he puts some over here. And you're in that line that's still approaching to the throne. And you haven't been separated to one side or the other. And the heart pounding and the concern, have I violated the conditions? Of being on the right hand of the Savior. And as you're looking there. And drawing near. What will your fate be? Verse 33. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand. But the goats on the left. That's why I'd never call my child a kid. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand. Come ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous enter him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? I just want to assure you that the context of this is I didn't think I was doing anything out of the ordinary. This is a normal course of life. When I saw this, this is my response. Verse 38, when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. <clears throat> for I was a hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, ye visited me not. And then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, and in prison, did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. I wrote a few thoughts here. 
One who does not have compassion for those in need and distress from the heart demonstrates no salvation at all. There's no demonstration of salvation when one does not have compassion on those who are needy. Now, we're talking about very temporal needs, and we say, well, we hadn't even got the subject of the blood of Christ and right theology and all that. The Bible puts conditions of salvation on the level of right conduct, not right theory. Right theory produces right conduct, and therefore the test on the conduct. And the second foundational scripture for Ishmael's well, as it's been laid on my heart, is in Genesis I think of the book of Genesis, Genesis 21, verse 9 through 21. I view the book of Genesis as a book of beginnings. Why is this account in here? Genesis 21. Why is this account in here of Ishmael, Abraham's other son, the first son, if you will, born by a bondwoman? It was a son of the flesh. Produced by human effort, and that's what we are, all, all of us are by, uh, by first nature. We're, uh, we're after the flesh. We're after that human effort. What I can accomplish, what I can be, what name I can get for myself, or what I, this big I, can accomplish. But the next son is a son of promise that is impossible to beget except by faith. Now, I want to haste to say that we had a pretty good list here earlier, lest I forget it. And we think, well, if we're not in full-time ministry or if we're not uh, reached the zenith of all that we could be, we're not worth anything. No, I want to encourage you that if you're turning your heart regular to the Lord and saying, what do you want me to do? Oh, you want me to be a quality Christian first. Oh, a right attitude towards my parents. Oh, a right brother and the sister in the congregation, walking in the fear of the Lord, honoring my elders. Oh, it's, it's a good beginning. It's headed in the right direction. That's the kind of foundation to build on. And foundations are laid and they're, they're built on. But we're going back to Genesis 21 and verse 9. <clears throat> After the son of promise was born, <clears throat> the son of promise was mocking I'm sorry, the son of the flesh, after the flesh was mocking the son of promise. And you'll find that still true in your life today. As you feel the Lord begin to call you into some area of ministry, you can believe that the son after the flesh, that original man that wants to take care of himself and save his life and do as he pleases, he's going to come and mock this son of promise that the Lord wants you to inherit. So here's the analogy. But Genesis 21 verse 9 And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son. And there's a lot of typology here. You'll find that also in the book of Galatians. Even with Isaac. He's not going to inherit with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son, and we find it that way still. To let go of that life that's so easy to the Natural man. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the land and because of this of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also the son of the bondwoman will make a nation because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child unto one, under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off as it were a bowshot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him in thy hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness, a parent, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Now, the question is, why this account in the book of Genesis? I believe it's because God has yet something in mind for Ishmael. And at the time, it seems that Ishmael is thrown out of his land, dismissed from his inheritance, thrown out there somewhere, that Ishmael's life sustaining uh, graces, the things that's going to sustain his life were spent, and 
He's going to die. It's at that time that God opens their eyes to a well of water. Is that well of water not Jesus Christ? And I felt for some time, I don't know who preached the message. I think it may have been Emmanuel Esch and sowed some of those seeds in my heart. But as I consider the scriptures, I believe it's a it's a true picture. And at this time, I believe that the nation of Syria fairly majorly has Ishmael descent, Arabic descent here. Notice how their hands is against everybody else's and everybody's hand against them is a strifeful nation. But God loves Ishmael. And wants him to also become partaker with the son of promise in the well of water. These two principles are underlying in my heart as to why I have a burden for the Islamic people. Now, naturally speaking, I don't really long to get into their trouble. We are, after all, to the Islamic people, we're the despised Samaritans. Because they have an image of us as being this idolatrous nation that they see pumped to them from this ungodly woods called Holly, um, <clears throat> Hollywood over there. And the ungodliness that they're fed, they view it as this is Christianity. And is it possible that they know so little about Christianity because the church has failed in being the light that it should have been? Um, Turkey is a country that holds tremendous history. If I'm not mistaken, the seven Asian churches in that day were in Turkey. The crib or the cradle of Christianity. But things went awry. The church became a national power or Constantine made it the national religion and it lost its power because the church was no longer a separate people unto the Lord. And so idolatry in many ways reigned. I'm not saying every person in that Catholic Catholic system was an idolater, but much went awry. Could I get a little water, please? Is it here? Oh, yes. Thank you. And so, when the church has fallen into decay, much goes awry in their outreach to the lost. Here is a prime reason for you and I to maintain a godly, biblical, staunch, righteous walk with God. Not violating in anything that we can understand. This is the foundation for outreach in many ways. All right. I want to tell you today uh, a bit of the story of our trip to Turkey as time permits. I want to talk to you about when we hit bottom over there in Antakya or Hattai, real close to where Paul was originally sent forth, the church at Antioch. It was right close to that region. I want to talk to you about where we hit bottom there. I want to talk to you about Eric. I want to talk about Gazin Tep, Patrick um, Jensen, Maher, and the schools. And I've got a long ways to run, so I think I'd better get started. I'm going to read just some chronicle here. Uh, I think it gives you a little bit of the picture. Left the shop at 9 a.m., traveled to Charlotte, North Carolina. This is on the 13th of June. Flew to Boston, and then at 11 p.m., we boarded a large plane for Turkey. Norman Kilmer, a deacon from congregation there at home, is with me. We met Mark Cross in Charlotte, then met Tim Zizet in Boston. We got to Turkey. We go to Turkey to see what doors are open to help the refugees with aid as well as the gospel. Lord Jesus, protect, open doors, help us to be your city set on a hill that our Father would be glorified by good works. Amen. 6, 14, 16. I think this would be, well, I think we lost the day in there somewhere. <clears throat> but is it maybe Tuesday night? Here we are in Istanbul, Istanbul at a motel. Outside, the night is just getting started. It's Ramadan. 
We arrived safe and sound and were met by Mark Krause's erstwhile language teacher who brought us through the subways and over to this motel. And he put us in a motel that was right across the street. We were third level up and right across the street was a bar and a night place. And uh, as we were getting ready to go to sleep, well, the night just began because Ramadan was in full course. And um, so when it got dark, then they were allowed to eat. And so the life of revelry went on during the daytime. People slept at night somewhat. And the uh, first night we were able to sleep quite well because we were very tired. We now have discussed and prayed as how is best to do tomorrow. We have a contact that is distributing refugee supplies. Supplies Tomorrow, we have some thoughts of taking a six-hour bus ride there tomorrow. We didn't end up doing that. Oh, Lord Jesus, guide us into your harvest. There are many who have hardened their hearts, but where are these who are crying, No man careth for my soul. Lead us, Lord Jesus, for thy glory. Amen. 6.15.16. We went across town. We walked across town. Um, with our baggage, with our carry-ons, unfortunately, we didn't take any suitcases. And we had either backpacks or carry-ons with wheels. And we walked across town and met a man at a Bible correspondence course place there where um, he was a very important contact. And somehow, either through Mark's translator or, uh, yeah, the Lord led us there. And we got a lot of information there. And it's just very brief here. Um, in my what I wrote, uh, he recommended to work through church based channels. The time to work is now. People settle down and form their own subcultures and are no longer open. And that's one of the reasons why we have the sense of urgency with what we found at Gaussian Tep. Excuse me. If someone comes to faith, is there a place to send them to a church? We ask them. He recommended to work with an existing church or be prepared to disciple if someone comes to the Lord. Sending long-term, short-term personnel and finances. If we focus on what needs to be done and others aren't doing, that's what he would have recommended. He said, focus on what needs to be done and others are not doing. And I think there was a situation like with I-58 where they were not allowed into a country, into a situation, and uh, they just began to volunteer to do the nastiest, dirtiest job. I don't have this firsthand information, but, um, oh, you're willing to do that. Well, you can do that also. And so a door began to be opened, and I think there's also some place um, for us to do likewise if we're not filled with fear. This organization, Bible Correspondence Courses, uh, gives away free Bibles or New Testaments, and they advertise in newspapers and Internet. And they advertise that if you're interested in a Bible, you just write to us here or make this call or, or contact us, and then they send them out information. This man has spent some time in prison. I was thinking that he told us, Where's Brother Tim? I don't see him. Did, did you spend, did, did he tell us he spent two years in, um, in a prison for his work? Do you recall? David Bile. David Bile. Uh, I think it was a few days. Just a few days? Okay. Yeah, anyway, but he brushed it off like a fly. It was like having been put in, in jail for his work or whatever. Well, that was no big deal. He just, well, don't worry about that. Uh, you, just, you just go on. He was a very courageous man and gave us a lot of information. Then there was uh, the next day on the 16th of June. Today, again, at Istanbul, we just toured the oldest building in Turkey. And there's a lot of history in Turkey. The original would have been built by Constantine, an enormous church with super high domes. This place was ruined by at least a couple of conflicts. With enemy conflicts, this place was ruined and rebuilt by at least a couple of conflicts and finally built back with stone, concrete, and iron. The Turks took over in the 1500s. They uh, took over Turkey. It had been a uh, Catholic. It had been known as a Christian nation, but the Turks took over in the 1500s, and this Catholic church building became controlled by Islam. It is now a museum, and recently read a news article that said 
that after 80 years, they've appointed a full-time imam to that place again. It seems since the military coup that there has been a growing control by Islamic forces um, in that place. But there's <clears throat> too many details. We were meeting a man who was involved in Syrian refugees relief work here in the city. We had an appointment at 2 o'clock, and as we had sat after touring that place, and we sat down, we're doing some paperwork and some studying and pondering, and the time got away from us. And all of a sudden, we realized, hey, time's getting away from us, and we don't know just exactly where we're going. And we hit the subways, and we were running from one place to the other and riding the, the, the little trains. And, and uh, well, <clears throat> we got out on the wrong side of the station, which then we had to fettle our way back around. And by the time we got around, he said he had one hour that he'd give us no more. And we had taken uh, whatever, we had 35 minutes left when we finally met this man. And he talked fast. And uh, <clears throat> we tried to gather as much information as we could. And then we'd, we'd say, so you're saying this. And then it's, no, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. So anyway, it's a bit confusing. And, but uh, we are fired up by this time. And after our meeting with him, we got on the Internet and got tickets to come down nearly to the Syrian border. That would be down there at Hatay, which would also have been Antakya or Antioch. There's a refugee camp here that seems to be somewhat of what we're looking for. Getting here was intense. We got everything lined out for tickets. Then the bank refused the card. Tried again, finally. Now to the airport. It's clear across the city. Find the right bus. We need to find the right bus. We walked and almost ran, toting our carry-ons with us. No, this is not the right place. Oh, where? Back the way we came. No, not that way. Oh, down that alley. And says we were going uh, as we, we went to where we thought we needed to go. And then, well, no, this is not the place. So, oh, it's back that way, the way we just came. So we headed that way, and we started stopping and asking questions. And as we went along the way, then, uh, yeah, no, not, it's not that way. You go down this alley, and finally, yeah, we got on the bus, and where we relieved when our baggage was stowed. Finally, we were in the bus, only to sit in traffic and pray. We did make it to the boarding gate as they were boarding. When we got here, we flew down to Hatay. When we got here and came in to the luggage claim, a friendly-looking chap came up and chatted. Where are you from? Oh, USA. I'm a police. Do you have your passports with you? And they showed us his badge. And um, Norman and Tim had gone to the restroom, and it was Mark Cross and I. The officer showed us his badge and took Mark and I aside to a side room and ran our passports. Meantime, Tim and uh, Norman came out and they couldn't figure out what had happened to us. <clears throat> Looked at our information and asked no more questions. We were free to go. I must admit I felt a little nervous. Some staff from the camp personnel met us and brought us to a Catholic church building where we had a very peaceful night sleeping in a monastery's quarters. Small rooms, two single beds, bath attached with a foot washing tub. Small table, one chair, but air conditioning. We slept very well after Norman put Alma's fears to rest. Uh, Norman's wife's name is Alma. And uh, after he put them to rest, that we were fine. Um, we slept well. So the next day in the morning, we went to meet this contact person by the name of Jenny, who was from Upper State New York, I believe, and worked there with a church. Would that, what that denomination would that have been, uh, Tim? Don't even know what denomination, but they were using the church house as a place for school where they were taking Syrian refugee children uh, into school and um, were teaching them various things. They also had uh, adopted a unregistered refugee camp that had about 15 families living in them and of a home homes made of tents. Now, when we got there and visited that afternoon, there's too many details to tell you all about. But it was fascinating to sit in that house, which there were refugee tents around this farmhouse. This um, person that had more influence had uh, made it available for them to put their refugee tents around his house while he lived in this place and provided them with some work and, and sort of looked, helped look after them. But there we sat in the living room and had older uh, Syrian people who were Islamic Listen intently as we basically preached the gospel to them and nodded with feeling in their eyes, with openness. And some of them saying, I believe what you're saying is true. I believe what you say is true. And it was just it was a touching, heart touching situation. 
But they had already uh, developed a, a dependency mentality, including that church. And uh, seemingly, yeah, we weren't at rest that this is what we were looking for. We had planned the next day to go uh, visit more refugee camps. But uh, that evening, an unrest came into all of our hearts. Well, one thing that happened there, to give you a little bit of a picture into situations, um, we were listening to the imam give the prayer call. And uh, just about the time he gave his prayer call, suddenly there was this boom, big bang. And we said, what was that? That sounded like a bomb. And in just a little while, pow, 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 pow. And we looked out the window and there's these powerful strobes, not one strobe, like a, a whole array of strobes sweeping the sky. And we says, oh, no, we're here just an hour from Syrian border and war has come here. Now what are we going to do? Anyway, our fears needed to be put to rest. What uh, we got a hold of Jenny, and she said, "Oh no, they're just they're just celebrating." You know, when the imam began to uh, you know his prayer call there in the evening, that was just uh, they gave this big boom. It's all right to go ahead and eat, and then the party life started. You know, and we said these people are pretty much at ease if they are using these methods for demonstrating party. Uh, they're not really afraid of war, and so anyway. But that night, <clears throat> I wrestled. And we were not finding what we're looking for. The next morning, our morning started with much heart searching and dying and disappointment, not having found the bunches of camps we had expected and ease of impacting them simply wasn't there. We searched the scriptures in our hearts and the Lord spoke to us through various scriptures. We confessed our needs and cried out to the Lord for forgiveness and guidance. We decided to spend the day relaxing and in the evening to meet with some other people who were working with some small refugee camps. In the evening, a pastor's wife met us and led us back to their house where we met a large, gentle man who told us of ten camps that they are reaching out to on a regular basis. They could use some help packaging and distributing, visiting in the camps, and some short-term volunteers would be a blessing. They could stay in their facility, they said. We were much encouraged by this contact, pictures and the things they shared, needs described and open doors to share Christ. This morning, while praying and seeking, we got a phone call from a man in Gaziantep, Patrick Jensen, who invited us to come down there. So we got tickets and made plans to bust down there Sunday morning, feeling assured the Lord was guiding us. Now I need to hurry. I think I'm pushing my time already. What time was my time? 10.15. 10.15. All right. Sunday morning, we left Ankara, or Antioch, uh, Hatay, all those names apply, about 7.30 at the bus station. We ate toasted bread and such like. We arrived in Gaziantep at noon and sat on various in on various charismatic services. The immodesty with the women was terrible. Yet mixed in were some sincere people with some depth. And one of the reasons I mentioned that is that some of the basic teaching of, of the doctrine of Christ and of Christianity, which has to do with deep moral godliness in our hearts, is violated fiercely by that known church as they throw off their Islamic restraint. And they, many of them have never met a conservative Christian, an Anabaptist Christian. They don't have any idea such a thing exists. Fast forwarding quickly, we visited a home that Sunday afternoon with a pastor and met Syrians, <clears throat> had conversations with them through two interpreters. But a very significant that e- evening, we stayed with a young man by the name of Maher, who you probably know something about with prayer requests and the needs described. He is in danger. But what was very thrilling was as we invited him to share with us what it says in his Syrian Bible about the Christian women's veiling, for instance, he said to us, but they won't do it. Nobody obeys the scripture. He said, I've taken this passage to script, uh, the passage of scripture to pastor and they won't do it. The pastor's wife says she believes it, but she'll never be accepted if she practices this practice. And other things like that we discussed. We found a hungering, longing soul that would like to follow the Lord Jesus.
so. I think I've lost my place in my notes. Try to get back there real quick. I'd just like to make an appeal to you. What are you doing in a practical way to advance Christ's kingdom? Are you doing anything in a practical way to advance Christ's kingdom in your own life, in your own heart? I can't imagine a vibrant walk with Christ without working for the souls and the good of the souls of others. There's been a board of directors forming and we're making progress and uh, are in need of some devoted young men. Particularly maybe for the first time. Uh, It's possible that some young sisters might be able to be sent to. But we're looking to send some young men who uh, the church would send to go to that place possibly there in uh, uh, Antakya or Hatay there, um, and begin to do what's able to be done. Patrick Jensen is, at uh, this time, is not allowed to get back into Turkey. He's in Jordan. And so as these uh, opportunities would open, we're interested in some to gather information and to uh, do what there is to be done, knowing that one thing leads to another whether in righteousness or in sinfulness. And so uh, our cry is for immediately is for mature, devoted young men to send for one to three months who their churches would like to send to begin this work, distributing food and literature and scouting for what can, can or needs to be done. God cares for Ishmael. God cares for us Gentiles. Remember, there was a time when the gospel was only open to the Jews. Then it opened to the Gentiles. And I think that includes Ishmael. My appeal to you is, what are you finding satisfaction in in life? The quality of Christian life in your physical experiences, in your temporal experiences, can only reach their peak As you find deep satisfaction and fulfillment in the things of God and in a spiritual life. I find that as true. When I allow my Christian life even today to begin to wane, even those things of family relations that are very deep to me and meaningful things of togetherness, they begin to wane and lose their savor. When I lose spiritual vitality... Where are you? May the Lord direct you.